You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Staff Pick Samurai Edition. A staff pick because we are talking about Ben's yearly staff pick. And Samurai because it's kind of a samurai film, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it sure. counts as a samurai movie. It does. It's not like really in the tradition of the... It's more of an anime adaptation yeah, it's more than of a sam- samurai movie. Yeah. Oh, come on. It's a comic book samurai movie. Yeah. It's, but, it's, but the emphasis on the comic book is, is not like people standing in fields of wheat and then there's two slices and somebody falls down, which is what I think of as a like a real samurai movie in mm-hmm. old, like black and white Kurosawa or something like that. This is a modern run around and beat up lots of guys samurai movie. Now, yep. it, it wouldn't be telling tales out of school to say this may be the most successful staff tip pick if we're only counting how many sequels the <laughs> staff are compelled to, of their own volition, not for the podcast, watch. And yep. I dare say between the three of us, we watched... Uh, no, ha- how many staff picks are going to have five, five sequels? <laughs> <laughs> Or four sequels or whatever. Four uh, sequels, I guess. Uh, if Gates of Heaven had had four sequels, I dare say <laughs> we would never have There'd watched be them. zero <laughs> sequels. I'm trying to think if what the If Clueless other... had four sequels, buddy, I'd be here for all four of them. Oh, man. They'd just be on repeat in the background. <laughs> Why would I need to watch any other movies? Why would you need I to watch know. any other movies? It's <laughs> a question you alone can answer. Right. Only Jake has a cl- could get that clue. <laughs> Guys, we're talking about, of course, as our listeners will already have guessed. Well, I guess they ha- will have based on the fact that... The episode is titled... The episode is titled Roroni Kenshin. And there are five of these darn things... You can watch, I'm just going to tell people where to watch them, even though this information will date the podcast once it becomes not true. But I think if people are compelled to watch these movies based on our conversation, then they might like to know. So you could go to Netflix, you could part, watch part one. Then you go to some dumb service called Funimation. You sign up the for- Funimation like, just got by Crunchyroll, yeah. I was told. So I think you have to go to Crunchyroll now. Okay, you go to by Crunchyroll. By the time this- Airs at least. I could be wrong about that. Now, I know all our listeners are always going to Crunchyroll. So just to pull up the tab on your computer with Crunchyroll. Go there. Get, a, get yourself a free trial or whatever. You're not going to want to watch anything else that it offers, I dare say. But you could watch Kenshin Part 1 and Part 2. Which no, kind of, part 2 and sorry, Part 3. Part 2 and Part 3, which kind of form a duology of their own. And yeah, are, it's a two-part. Yeah, it's like a two-part story sequel arc. to the first one. And maybe the most overall successful thing in the Kenshin franchise, although I'm going to argue otherwise, so I don't know why I'm saying that. But I think a lot of people might say that. Then you got your Kenshin, then you go back to Netflix and you got your Kenshin prequel and your Kenshin sequel. Now, in terms of order of release, you could watch the sequel first and then the prequel, but I highly recommend you do what we all three spontaneously do did, which is you watch the prequel and then you watch the sequel. I think, unless anybody wants to disagree that that would be the... No, I didn't know that there was another way to do it. No, apparently the actual correct order is sequel, prequel, but that's... That a, was their release order. That was the release order, really? at least. But Which that I would, think is that's dumb. surprising. That's why there's that long flashback in the sequel to the prequel, which okay. makes no sense if you've just watched the prequel. And well, yeah, it felt like it was padding it out. Right. And they were being cheap. As if those movies needed padding. I know. But the the point is... Definitely go prequel sequel. Yep, no Maybe question even. about I that. I mean, you, you, one could even argue for forget the prequel, but I I think it's worth watching. It's worth watching. It's fun. Plus, uh, you get to see him actually kill people. Plus, you get Jake, as we know, a famed a famed monster. 
that likes to see people die. Think, yeah. Well, that's an interesting point about these this series. But before we get to it, we, we got to say what this is. People may not even know. So Roroni Kenshin is a series of films released in the Audi 10s, I think, and even the Audi 20s in mm-hmm. Japan. And they are based on a very famous manga. I never know how to pronounce manga. the word. Manga which became a pretty famous anime. I thought the anime came first. No, the manga came first. And, and My understanding, well, I don't know. You guys did the research. I'll just shut up. No, go ahead. I was led to believe that first season of the anime came out and then the manga was based on the show and they developed in parallel or something like that. This I, is interesting. I don't know the answer. I am not familiar with that. I have read about the manga which has a somewhat sordid history but yeah i think it just started as a manga as far as i'm it aware did. it did i i'm just i'm looking at it now yep it was a let's see well it looks like the anime began while the manga was still being written so 94 the manga starts 96 the anime starts okay there you go i guess yeah bad, and I, bad data i'm willing to believe that they were developed in tandem and mm-hmm. kind of bounced off of each other and a lot of the lore has been developed for one and then seeped into the other, and that sort of thing seems very probable. I would say if we have any listeners that like anime, they probably know Rurouni Kenshin. It's like a, it's not an A title. It's not like something that people who don't know anime know. If you're only on the precipice of knowing anime, then you've probably heard of Dragon Ball Z, Speed Akira. Racer, Akira. There's like a handful of titles that most people who are plugged into pop culture but not plugged into anime might know. Roroni Kenshin is the second tier of titles that are pretty popular. And if you get into anime, you'll quickly stumble over them. But they're not. And are better than the ones we just mentioned. And are better better for the most part than the ones that we mentioned. But you're going to hear about like an Attack on Titan or a... Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop, certainly. Or what's the one one with the powers? They've got powers. It's like two brothers and (laughs) they're like wizards or something. Oh, Uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, there's like a handful of titles that most people are going to be like, I've heard that title before. And Roni Kenshin, probably you won't say I've heard that title before. I certainly hadn't heard it before. Ben made it his staff pick. But yeah, they finally did a movie adaptation of the series that had been running for 20 years, 30 years now, whatever it is in... 2014 was the first one. Uh, yeah. In 2014? 2012. What? Oh, sorry. I'm bouncing around too many tabs here. I have it right in front of me. Mm. The first one was 2012. Cool. So we should. I think we should do a little bit more table setting, tell people what this is before we get into reviewing it or even giving broader context. So... What is it? It's a story of a, of a swordsman who was an assassin for the party that wanted to restore the emperor. It was the beginning of the Meiji Restoration. He was their assassin against the shogunate. And after he helped usher in the Meiji era, deposed the shogun, put back the emperor, mm-hmm. he was like, I'm never going to kill anyone again. I killed a lot of people. And now I'm done. This is a new age of peace. Not going to kill anymore. Right. Yep. So the... So the Meiji period is like Japan's, now we're going to westernize, period. It's like 19th century, we're switching over, we're going to be one of the great powers, we're going to figure this stuff out. Right, and we're going to throw off the corrupt shogunate and embrace something that will be better for everyone. He's like Batman, 
Except he's a samurai with a cool sword and he runs around fighting bad guys, but his blade faces away from people. And so he just beats the crap out of him with a sword. <laughs> and teaches uh, them a lesson, I do yeah, say. And it's cool like that. That's who Rurouni Kinshin is. <laughs> I, my psychological acumen tells me that <laughs> Jake thought we weren't doing a good, good job of <laughs> selling this story to people. <laughs> yeah, talking about all this Meiji stuff and well, believe me, the if shogunate you, and the emperor and yeah. So you just gave a better sales pitch, but I dare say if someone watches this movie, they better be prepared to put up with a lot of stuff about the shogunate and about the Meiji and about the peaceful versus uh-huh. the like. You're gonna put up with more of the me and Ben stuff than you're gonna get of the Jake stuff. But the Jake stuff's awesome. It's awesome. I think you can pretty much safely ignore it and say, oh, I think our guy was on the good side and they won, and now he's not killing people and is just going around beating up the rest of the bad guys. And that's probably good enough for you. You can, but you'll be you ignoring can. a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This I movie... mean, if you like galactic the galactic politics of the prequel tr- trilogy. Which I do then absolutely you need to know about the Meiji government and the shogunate and stuff like that. Well, but if you like cool lightsaber fights. Let's at least say, let's at least, that's all true, Jake, but let's at least say that, man, in the way of actual classic samurai movies sometimes, this movie is pretty, we're Japanese and we're very conflicted about our past and we hate what we have done and we hate where we have been, but we're here now and somehow we have to atone for our past sins. Like it's very that, and, and which it's is a samurai thing. Spend a lot of time on that. I agree with, all of us like I, I agree. I agree with Jake that the reason to watch the movie is the awesome action. Lightsabers, and, yeah, and and you just you put up with the other stuff. But also, but I like the other stuff. I like I do like the other stuff, and there is a lot of it. If all you want is action, you're gonna have to wait a while, <laughs> and you're gonna have you're gonna be expected by the filmmakers to invest emotionally in this Meiji era most, drama. Most melodrama. of it, most of it carries because you have you develop affection for the characters, even if you don't care at all about the Meiji stuff. You're like he cares. He's cool. Yes, I would say more than most. Samurai, actual classic samurai films, this series, in the style of a great anime, has a really fun cast of characters. Kenshin himself has a lot of supporting characters and friends and buddies, and there's lots of like loyalty and friendship. <laughs> and this guy's going to show up and he's beat up, but he still wants to help Kenshin out. Or this guy was an enemy, but now he's an ally. Or this guy was a. There's lots of brotherhood and betrayal and. Stuff like that that we all like if yeah. we've got any testosterone at all, which I think <laughs> everyone does. So have we have we successfully described what this thing is? It's like a samurai action movie. It's like a comic book samurai action movie. Mm-hmm. Colorful and crazy. All the villains, they're going to be like Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat characters. They're going to have weird costumes and... Funny, interesting weapons or interesting styles. Interesting weapons or, or styles, and they'll attack... Quirky personalities. Yeah. Right. This guy's the sword cat catcher, and this guy's the this guy. I can't think of a single example. This guy bursts <laughs> into flames because <laughs> he's got some disease that makes him burst into flames. There's stuff like that. So it's very... like Like... It's always interesting to watch another culture's stuff because they have different senses of humor and different senses of what's serious and different senses of what is violent or what's too much or what. And so on the one hand, you'll be surprised by how goofy these films get, how ridiculous and how silly and how self-consciously silly they are. And then on the other hand, you'll be like, whoa, they're really going for it with this melodrama that they expect us to take really seriously. And it can be a wild ride of tones that you're just not expecting to like hey i guess the japanese think these flavors go together 
we don't usually eat that kind of a meal in America. So on that level, it's pretty fun, actually. I think. I mean, if that yeah, if that sounds like the kind of thing that would be fun to you, maybe a little, some, a couple times you'll be laughing at it instead of with it. I think most. Well, and I think it gets it. more coherent as it goes along. Yeah. I think the the grossest offender in terms of weird mixtures of tonalities is the first one. Right. Yeah. Sure. They just they get in their feet under them. Maybe they don't have the world's biggest budget, and they haven't fully cracked the code. And they have a lot of this big cast of beloved characters from the anime who all have their and the manga. and they're trying to introduce them and be faithful to the source material mm-hmm. while it's adapting it to live action. And they end up getting a, enough right in the first one that they clearly got greenlit and I think a larger budget for the sequels and, and they ironed it out and refined it. Yes. And they got their feet under them really quickly. And I think movies two and three are pretty fun and great. Yeah. They're pretty great. Yeah. I'm a big two movies, two and three fan. I'm a big movie five fan. Likewise. And movie one is kind of doing your homework and number, f- but the movie one's fun. And then four is like his emotional backstory. So it's the slowest. It's slow. You're going to be expected to invest a lot in the story. And it's good. I liked it. In too. the romance that you don't care about in any of the other movies. Right. For that movie. Here's the tragic lost romance with this other lady. In, I would say that five makes four pay off. You get a prequel romance. And then in number five, you get a bunch of emotional stuff. Yes. Which your mileage may vary. Personally, I was pretty affected by it. More than in watching the movie about the romance. The callbacks were like, okay. Yeah, and it, it got me a little. It's made a nice setup for the things that happen in the fifth movie. Dylan from the past. So if you want to see a, a great action performed by actors who know how to be athletes as well and are expected to actually do their own stuff and a good comic book style of slight exaggeration, but also not just ridiculous Marvel CGI characters bouncing off of each other with no coherence or grace, then... It's what we... to want to see from star wars like the cleverness of each fight and of the fighting styles the speed at which is executed the, right. hey we're gonna take some stuff we learned from wuxia movies from like crouching tiger type stuff but it's not gonna be the same style it's gonna be faster it's gonna feel a little more grounded literally it's, more grounded like they're not totally defying gravity no it's only not just only ways work. that make it kind of interesting like they have their jedi powers that it just really i mean I think we all probably had the experience, and I think you will too, of just sitting there wishing that the entire cast and choreography team and everybody was just wholesale brought into the Star Wars universe and brought under the banner of Filoni and Favreau to do something really cool and fun yeah, in a like High Republic yep, or just like a band of wandering Jedi. You know, we get the... Kanan Jarrus and some other stuff like that. Or we just get some other story of a post-Order 66 wandering samurai Jedi in this world. And you can pull in some of these guys as inquisitors or something like that. Or you could just go back to like a High Republic or something like that kind of height of the Jedi. They just do a lot of really cool, fun stuff with this team and these actors and these choreographers and everything like it is super yeah. super fun and a lot of eye candy and a lot of creativity yeah i mean this is this movie these movies yeah. basically if you hated the star wars sequels 
I recommend that you watch this. Maybe not with your kids, but I mean, it is pretty violent. But I recommend that you watch it because it is what you wanted, I think. I mean, if you're a person of sense, then what you wanted from more Star Wars movies was a better, more linear plot than George Lucas was ever able to do in those prequels and some emotional grounding, some stuff you could actually care about, sincerity, some humor, and then great some action. and A light touch. Yeah. and mm-hmm. but, Colorful ha- characters. Yes. And some samurai values. I mean, we, yeah, we do all right. like those kinds of like stories. I mean, stories. The, the best, uh, the, the reality that I hope we all realize, I hope, I hope you realize, listener, is that what is actually cool about the vibe of the Jedi is the samurai vibe that they give off the sort of like stoic, chill, quiet, able to. I'm not going to start a fight, but I sure will end one. Yeah. I will never start the fight. I will wait until the last minute, but when it comes, buddy, am I able to handle everything that comes and end the fight? Like that kind of vibe is awesome. And then just the sort of quiet it's over and I'm, the sword is now put away and I walk away because the only reason I fight is I'm a man of peace mm. and I'm here to protect the innocent. And so the sword's away and it's all quiet and still again. Like that kind of vibe, that's what these guys get and it's cool and it's fun. Right. Well, it's, and it, it actually, really it, it one-ups George Lucas's conception because they're not anti-love and they're very restrained about love but it's but it's not like the stupid anakin storyline it's not i actually think these movies are philosophically garbage let me be very very clear about that but as far as this kind of hero's journey samurai stuff goes it's actually much more coherent than anything star wars has given us probably since empire strikes back then i mean his like in the third movie he goes and he sees his mentor and he has to regain his powers and stuff like that and it's actually a satisfying little emotional journey that he goes on mm-hmm. that makes some sense and tracks. And the characters, unlike a Marvel movie, they're not behaving this way with this morality in this scene, but then we need something to happen. So they're behaving this way with this morality in this scene. It all, you can follow it. So well, it, so much of it has to do with guilt and atonement. Yeah. Right? So like part of his, the lesson that he's got to learn in his little arc is that in setting aside violence and caring about life, he has to actually care about his own life. Right. And not just be a reckless man with a death wish who's willing to step in and die because he hates himself for the things that he's done. But he's got to actually value all life, including his own, and have a reason to live. And Well, and it's got the whole sort of the paradox of, of failing to protect life is the same as ending it like he, he thinks he can be a pacifist but how can you be a pacifist with all these bad guys in the world it, it doesn't i'm not going to say it handles those things well but it handles them a lot better than i expected it to it's coherent yeah, the, the and it kind of has something to better. say everybody in the everybody around him knows better everyone around him less. knows better and he gets he's not strictly speaking a pacifist he's just an anti-killist right <laughs> <laughs> he's oh i'm happy to beat the crud out of two thousand guys and i will well, and any, there's so many scenes where he's beating people up while his friends are killing people <laughs> to his right and to his left. Yeah. And it's like, he doesn't mind that. And the movie doesn't actually expect us to mind it. And instead of it just feeling like incoherence, like it would with a Marvel movie, it just feels like, 
He the, made a personal choice. Yeah, the movie makers so are like, yeah, he made a personal choice. This is the story of his personal choice. We're not actually afflicting you, dear watcher, with that personal choice. Like, That's right. This is about no, his No, this actually makes... Blood guilt. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes his... What you're actually doing is you're watching it make his life and his job harder. Right. That's what right. he's actually doing is choosing to punish himself or allow himself to be punished as he still goes through and does the work of trying to protect everybody and disable every possible bad guy. Well, right. it also, sh- he doesn't have, the movie doesn't have a coherent world. It's, it is the whole Japanese thing of we're very conflicted about all this because you had to break all the eggs to make the omelet that is the new world order. And now, turns out that there's a lot of blood on our hands, a lot of eggs on our hands. And but so many Japanese movies will do one of two things that I don't like. A, they'll be totally fatalistic. Like the point will be, you right. cannot be Kenshin. He's an idiot. We're all going to die. We need to just do what we have to. Be pragmatic. There's that point of view. Or they'll be like, yay, Kenshin, why can't everybody peace and love? And it'll just be like so phony baloney. And this movie, for all its cheesiness and for all its philosophical junk, is actually kind of cool about that stuff. It's just kind of like, well, this is the world. This is his personal vow. This is how he's navigating it. it. It's clearly mm-hmm. landing on the side of the new government and all that sort of thing. But you also mm-hmm. understand, like, it's willing to give you, yeah, I get why the bad guys are the bad guys, why they're doing what they're doing, why they ended up where they ended up. I get why the the guys on Kenshin's side, whether they are turncoats or whether they are just sort of like happy, peaceful, good guys who just want to do the right thing. Like I, you get everybody's perspective and understand where they fit. And you get to process that all through him who embodies the tension of everything. Which is yeah. fun. Yeah, it's like what you wish Captain America Civil War would have been. It's what they thought they were, but they weren't. Right. What they were were, eh, we need people to be on different sides for plot reasons. So you be this, you be this, whatever. What you wanted was we as the audience can see both sides clearly. We understand exactly why Tony's doing what Tony's doing. Why Cap? Like we are in everyone's corner. We're torn. We see every point of view. And they actually all make a lot of sense. And it's just exhilarating to see all these super powered people go after each other, but also tragic. Like, I think Kenshin actually does a nice job. We understand why nobody can deal with all these tensions. And the one person who thinks he can or is going to try to, we're going to watch. The whole point of this movie is to watch it tear him apart and almost kill him. And then have a deus ex machina at the end where he's able to to, to escape it or rise above it. Right. And not because he actually was able to to deal with it on his own. He needed some outside intervention. He did, needed some external mm-hmm. help. And that's almost that's always what happens with the, with these movies. He gets basically a divine get out of jail free card. Yeah, where the movie basically says, "Yeah, you can't deal with this tension. If you tried, you would die." But it's a good thing you've got friends. Yep. Well, that's what makes it not feel like just a day, like a cheap thing, like a Deus Ex Machina would feel cheaply. It's like <clears throat> you actually have community because of what you've done, who you are, even your attempts to live out this tension have brought you friends or like enemies. People who, love you or they respect you. Or they respect you enough or even like guys who are going to be your enemies are like, fine, I'll help you. Yeah, there's two different characters that come around because of Kenshin's because of what he's trying to do, whether he's successful or not, they come to respect him and then they both show up at crucial times in different movies. Which is really fun. And yeah, it's really, really fun. <laughs> it's both, really fun. Both times. <laughs> and mean, it, it feels fair enough in its way. 
Yeah. Yeah. And one time doesn't just feel fair. It just is <laughs> yeah! so happy. So the first time it <laughs> happens, great. I think it feels fair and plot. The second time is maybe a little wish fulfillment, but it's so. But it doesn't matter. It's but so like, like it's what the so audience much. wants. It's like, oh, he's back. <laughs> it's, Yay. It's, it's the right yeah. kind of fan service. It, no, it's great fan it's service. It's like perfect. Well, in that character. He was such a tasteful villain. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was a great little broken villain. Well, yeah. and I love the way he ends in part three. I mean, it's just a nice, it's a nice redemption. Yeah. This is kind of feel good samurai if you like i mean there's a lot of feel bad too like whole villages being wiped out and yeah murder scenes that go on and on and on and stuff like that kinshin beats him and breaks him mm. yeah and then he disappears and you just like a seppuku type mm-hmm. of a moment like he's just obviously gonna go kill himself because what else can he do he's been broken i think the last time we see him in three he's saying no yeah, he is. He's, like, just, he's, he's just, just like, screaming. He's literally pulling his hair. Yeah. Like, he just can't handle. There's a bunch of things like that that the Japanese let happen. They're going to show a really uncomfortable emotion in a way that sells it, which American films, for one thing, we don't have the same, what's the word, semiotics? Like, we don't do emotions that right, way in public. Yeah. We just yeah. don't do them. And we don't show those kinds of things. I found that really interesting. That's more like, this is an alien object sort well, of thing. Well, especially when you put it against, the way we show love is they look at each other and maybe hold hands and that's like the erotic highlight of five movies i know which that is a samurai movie thing not every japanese movie is going to be like that but some of them will be very sexually explicit and debauched but but these are following a certain template of yeah the way that they do those kinds of things and it's just like you do not speak certain desires restraint and honor even post-marriage you barely speak certain desires which Again, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it is really fascinating to watch. And this movie is way more. I don't want to oversell it, but it's hard not to oversell. It's it hard not to oversell it because we had a lot of fun with it, and it is so much more coherent and fun than what Marvel's given us for the last phase or two, and what Star Wars has given us for since the Kennedy years. You keep saying this movie, and I think that it's important to actually say this movie series because mm-hmm. yeah, yep, I think. If people just watch the first one, they might be like, what? Eh. Okay. That's- the first movie has a lot of silly in it mm. that we laughed a lot. Yes. We watched it together. We laughed a lot. We laughed at the movie a mm. lot because it was comically bad in places. It had some stuff that, and I realize it's two different cultures, but so, but it has some stuff that will remind you of like 80s Jackie Chan, silly villains with music is telling you how ridiculous. Really silly music, like <laughs> circus clown music i mean if you've you've ever seen a classic (laughs) anime from the 80s or 90s like a trigon or something where there is this melodrama but then there's this stuff that people will remember from pokemon just like somebody's eyes bug out or they're like and suddenly there's like hearts it's like that level of just ridiculous silly stacked up right next to high melodrama without much connection and and villainous bloodletting right (laughs) you know just all these things one on top of the other yeah, it's like you're going to have this villain be pretty realistically depraved. Then you're going to have this silly stuff. Then you're going to have melodrama. And it's like they just don't see discrepancies between those things, which I kind of love. I like stories that go for it in general. I like Victorian melodrama when it's done well. I like stuff that can just be like, you know what? We're going to have a broad audience see this. And so there's got to be stuff for dad, stuff for mom, stuff for baby. Like that style of entertainment, you just don't really get it's what star wars or marvel or something aspires to be but it's all just sort of run through a machine i know i'm saying nothing new but you're not actually getting something that 
only dad and mom can just sort of kind of nod and be like, oh, that's interesting in a Marvel movie. I'll say, maybe this will be a reference point for people. I, I feel about the first movie kind of the way that I feel about the Clone Wars movie. The Clone Wars movie's bad. It's not a good movie. But it's got enough in it that you're like, this wasn't a total waste of life. There's some fun things going on here. I might put that show on for the kids. Right. And then if you just keep watching it, you get sucked in as the show finds its feet and then you love it and think it's the best Star Wars ever. That's the way that this worked for me. That first movie was like, it was silly. It was dopey. It had some really, I think, just some, it was some pretty B-movie stuff in the cinematography and in the the score and the way it all worked together. Even the action wasn't quite there. Yeah, but it had- Parts of the action were there. Yeah, yeah, but there was enough there in the action and in the characters and in the acting that was just like, I'm bored. And that was fun. And that was light. And that was entertaining. It had the cool stuff that a better movie would be really cool. Yeah, it was just sort of like, it had that one lightsaber fight mm-hmm. that made me think, I remember that feeling of lightsaber fights when I was a kid, and there may be more of that in this Clone Wars show, and so I don't know, that might be cool. And so you put on the second movie and think, well, if nothing else, I'll get a couple cool sword fights and whatever else. And you're like, actually, that was kind of great. Yeah, everything levels up by the second movie. Well, and a lot of the things that feel goofy in the first one, I think actually either pay off or are just revealed for to be intentional intentional like juxtaposition like kenshin seems pretty effeminate in the first movie and his character as drawn in the manga and everything has always been androgynous androgynous yeah it took me a minute to realize that he was a man right exactly i didn't know anything about it i came to it completely blank and at first i thought he was a pretty girl and then i noticed the adam's apple right and i was put off by that in the first movie by the time the series ended and you you know his whole story i mean again i don't want to overpraise it but i was like that's perfect this guy is just a stunted boy that's the entire story we've been telling he's an orphan who was raised to be be an assassin right and he's pretty it's not just typical japanese androgyny there's something about this character that actually needs to be that way and not all the men are like that even though the hair in this entire series is ridiculous (laughs) ridiculous <laughs> everybody is going to have hair that i assume is meant to match their the hair comic. in the comic but it means everyone has like their bangs falling over their head in the most like <laughs> cover of glamour magazine or cosmo or something way oh, ever man. so there's just silly stuff like that that you have to put up with but like the first time you see the police captain dude say he's got a cigarette in his mouth he never doesn't have a cigarette in your mouth and you're like oh, oh man that's kind of silly and then you're five movies in you're like this guy's so cool and honorable and <laughs> he's got his cigarette. Why did they make cigarettes uncool, man? This dude makes smoking cool again. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> he's uh, giving me like Cary Grant vibes with the way he's handling his cigarette in this mm. movie. Oh, man. It's like, cool, I want to go. I haven't wanted to smoke a pack of cigarettes in years, but yeah. I want to now. Same. <laughs> and I did. I mean, I didn't go and smoke cigarettes, but I used to. And Sajiro, the effeminate little adversary is like that there's any number of things where you're like oh they're just being weird in japanese and then they actually end up being an integrated interesting part of a pretty well told story with interesting characters and stuff yeah that's fun oh another thing about the action scene (laughs) i I kept thinking as i was watching one one really fun part of his fighting style is that if he had a regular sword 
the fight scenes would be really fast. Right. Because he's, he's hitting these incredibly powerful bad guys with a blunt sword while avoiding their death blows. Right. And it takes him like 10 minutes sometimes. Yep. <laughs> Whereas if he just had a regular sword, he would win most of the fights that he has like really fast, which mm-hmm. is very, very fun, I think. I mean, it but is. Like you, you, give, you give your guy a crazy handicap and you still make him win. Yep. It's just fun. It is the part that's the most kind of just, well, you do realize to incapacitate all these guys, like you have to, you're paralyzing the, like. You're breaking bones. Many you're... of these people would rather be killed than whatever it is that you're doing to them. <laughs> but yay many for of, you. Many of them are still going to die of internal injuries and all right. kinds of things. But they're good. not going to be permanently handicapped. It's right. amazing. Yeah. We're talking blunt force trauma to the head with steel. <laughs> You but know, it's and to there, the ribs and but there is a comic book the element of, of the oh look he's getting up again he's learned his lesson now right yeah. <laughs> like that kind of thing well and it's like every <laughs> time he A-team. fights a boss it's like the movie are always contrives a way out one way or another but it's like what is Kenshin's goal here like once this guy's beat up he's gonna go convalesce and then gonna we'll be back to, to square jail. one like what mm-hmm. what are we even aiming for but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's a conceit that you have to just accept. If your brain can't accept it, then you won't. You just won't like this series, and then you'll, you'll be, be the poorer for it. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I think we've established what this is. So, Ben, you prepared some brief context on manga. <laughs> sure, let's go backwards to the, the manga. Well, manga is a big thing. Manga is Japanese comics. It's a massive thing in Japan, and it's every imaginable genre. A lot of our listeners, guessing, probably already a little bit plugged into this world. They know what this stuff is. They've seen it at the library. Because it's spread all over America. I mean, in Japan, it's massive. And every age group in Japan reads manga of some kind. Whether that means like sports uplift fiction or pornography or samurai comic books like Roni Kenshin or any number of things in between, it's all over. It's every genre. And in America, too, I think adults are getting more into this stuff. I assume uh, everyone who's our age, which is to say late 30s going to 40s probably you came of age well you definitely came of age when anime was coming of age in the united states like when cartoon network was putting stuff on adult swim that you'd never seen i think most people our age probably grew up with you saw a miyazaki movie or you had a friend that was into anime Mm -hmm. like it was a thing it's it's so much more a thing now but i think even for us it was a thing and i think for someone even a few years older than us it just wasn't a thing like maybe your friend, maybe you knew about Akira or something like that, but we grew up in a world of anime and now so even more. I mean, even if people don't mm-hmm. know anime, they know Spider-Verse, which is drawing its visual vocabulary so much from, it's just like animation itself has adapted so much of what anime mm-hmm. did that now everybody's familiar with the tropes and the things. Uh, and Avatar, uh, Avatar on not blue people, but the earth Fire, air, air water, bender. Avatar, the last airbender world, that, that takes a lot of its style from anime. Right. To great effect. Right. Does the Matrix as the, just anything, Clone Wars, it's the larger Star Wars universe has done things specifically in that style. Gennady, mm-hmm. uh, Tarkovsky or whatever that did that Clone Wars animated show. Who did Samurai Jack. He did Samurai Jack, day. which is very consciously a thing. He's got this new show called Prius uh, with like a guy fighting dinosaurs or something that's very much that. It's just in so much a part of the culture, part of the visual vocabulary of pop culture. And anyway, yeah, go on. Well, it's certainly, I mean, in the U.S., it's begun to capture a very large market share, like 
4.6 billion in 2020 and it's it, as of 2021 it made up at least 3 quarters of all comic book or graphic novel sales in the US that's a lot so it's it's outstripped our comic book industry our native comic book industry gone past marvel and dc people like it and a lot of it is really perverse if you've ever dipped into manga or anime in any serious way you've probably figured that out there's just a lot of perversity to watch out for Sex, sexual stuff is going to pop up in things so you're like cool giant robots are going to fight and then you try to watch an episode and you're like i can't watch this at least that would be a sensible response because it's just all through it so manga just here's a real brief thing about publishing demographics of manga which i think is really interesting there's shonen which is a category for teen boy manga so actually Roroni kenshin is shonen it's like adventure stories maybe more or less appropriate but adventure stories dragon ball z is that kind of thing Roroni or kenshin is actually a famous i think one of the things that went into its conception was the guy saying hey i should do a shonen that girls will like too which is, I think, mm-hmm. you could, if you watch these movies, you'll be able to tell. Like, you can tell. There's plenty of stuff for boys and there's some stuff for girls. Yep. Yeah. And then Shoujo is teenage girls primarily. So Sailor Moon, if you know what that is. Sure. Yeah. Who doesn't? Don't, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. It's like teenage girls with powers and stuff. Sign-in is adult men. It's often violent or hyper-violent. There will often be sex. So something like Akira, which is a post-apocalyptic, very violent manga-turned-anime movie that you may have seen. And that was one of the things that kind of went viral before things went viral mm-hmm. on VHS. And so, again, these are catch-all categories. These are publishing categories. They're not genres. But then you've got Jose, which is for adult women. And that's like trashy romance novel manga. Also some homosexual romance. Also some pornography. And then there's Kodomobuke, which is like stuff for little kids like Pokemon. Yeah. So there's all kinds of stuff. You got to be careful if you're going to dip in. I've mostly given up dipping into trying to dip into any of this stuff because I've been put off by it too many I mean, times. You could try Roroni Kenshin. That, you could, that, yeah. That yeah, wouldn't sure. be a bad one. That sounds good. That'd be fun. Yeah. But I probably just will be cool with watching five Roroni Kenshin movies and hoping they make another one. It is interesting to ponder that at our local Barnes & Noble, the anime section or the manga, sec- manga section is bigger, much bigger than the proper graf- graphic novel. Yeah, You'd have an easier time probably finding your preferred manga in stock i think this is my sense of it at least than like a particular batman run or something Classic Spider-Man. That's right, yeah. and i don't think that they even stock like they you, you could get the bound up volumes of graphic novels mm-hmm. and stuff but i don't know that you could actually find just current comics current, you'd have yeah. to go to an actual comic book store for that yeah i mean mm-hmm. within my lifetime borders was a thing and i think you could just get the latest issue of spider-man or batman and that sounds I think, right i think barnes and noble you used to be able to but yeah i don't know yeah. that the current iteration in our town at least no you can libraries are going to have a ton of manga yeah for kids social there's not the social stigma for it that a comic book has in america right don't a lot of adults and adults like, read it yeah you just you're just on the train and people are going to be reading manga Including, again, this is another difference in Japan, including just like pornographic manga, just mm-hmm. openly right there. So take that for what it's worth. Anything else to say? Nope. Well, you can listen to our Yo Jimbo episode if you want the context of Japan and samurai culture and the movement into the modern era, all of which is really interesting stuff. The relationship between Japan and the West is a sore spot that 
continues to this day. I feel like in the movies and stuff that I watch, it's the West is always a presence one way or another and not necessarily mm-hmm. a benign one. We did bomb two of their cities off the face of the map and those wounds take a long time to heal. And most any movie you watch is going to be downstream of that since they weren't making a lot of movies that we still watch before 1945. So you watch Miyazaki, you watch anime, you watch like all of this stuff. I think it has a wounded apocalyptic quality that a people group who had two cities blown off the face of the earth in a way that's never happened before since maybe you could say it happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Like people that had this another country choose an active choose to play god and just well now two of your cities are smoldering ash all at once i think it does define the national character in a way that i don't have anything more profound to say about it than that but i think you'll just see it even reflected in these movies just the woundedness of mm-hmm. these characters the kind of we all came out of something bloody and horrible and apocalyptic and we all and it's our fault too it's our fault too and we all carry the scars of it and there's no one we can seek our own healing, but as a nation, will we ever heal? Do we yeah, trust our do we trust our government at all? Or are they just going to screw us over again and again and again and again and again and again? Those are just the constant fixations of Japanese movies. And I would say even you can find it in Miyazaki, those aren't the things that preoccupy him, but they're there somewhere always in the background, you know. Oh, it's always there. And you watch these movies with some of their subplots about government foment and assassination of the, of Homelord, what's his name? You think of the recent assassination of Shinzo Abe in Japan, mm-hmm. former Japanese prime minister. I mean, this is happening now. It's like those movies are reflective of a tumult that they still feel, just like you're saying. Right. But I think so much of samurai movies are, they are doing the same thing that our Western movies are doing, where we want to look back on this time that somehow defined our character, and we want to look at it with nostalgia, but also we want to ask tough questions about it and a lot of the more about what it says about who we are and where we came from. Yeah, who we are, what we were then, what we are now, how the two go together. And just like many modern or postmodern western movies will be set in kind of the well now we have cars, now we have machine guns. Now the west is changing. I mean, half of even John Wayne movies are one way or another about the west is already a dream. It's already gone. It's already lost its character. Got guys like John Wayne, guys like Ethan Edwards and the Searchers that right. have to navigate that. And that's all, I'm not, I won't say all, but that's often samurai movies. Uh, These guys are ronins. They've been cast off. They're not actually, their whole school of thought, their whole way of being is gone They were necessary Mm -hmm. for a time in order to create the new order, to make us what we were. Right. To give us what we have. And then we needed to be done with them and we needed to kill them. Yeah, what the re-recurring motif in the Kenshin stories is that most of the villains, one way or another, were propped up and corrupted, weaponized one way or another. And then when they were no longer useful, the government or whoever decided, we're just going to kill you. And then that made them. You are now dangerous and an enemy of the state. And right. so we discard you, we kill you, we get rid mm-hmm. of you. Because there's just that sort of thing. We needed you to get the job done. And now your existence can only be a threat. Right. And then it further... Then they're like, okay, fine. I All guess right. that's what we are. So I guess that's what we'll be. Yep. And you have, and then again, you start out being like, why does this character of Kenshin seem so effeminate? And then you realize, actually, this is a survival. This is a coping mechanism. This is how this guy 
this is one reason this guy isn't just killed by everybody that he meets. It's one way that he survived is by maintaining this kind of boyish facade. So, so it's an interesting series. It's thematically rich is probably overdoing it, but it, let's just say it's accidentally thematically rich. Well, Japan is thematically rich. Exactly. I, I don't mean that to sound patronizing, but every time I watch something Japanese, it's just boiling with all of this right. stuff. Yeah. At least samurai movies, Yojimbo, it spirited away. I still think in terms of actual cinematic quality, this is a take it or leave it kind of property. Mm -hmm. It is the kind of movie Mm -hmm. that you can start, get 30 minutes of stop it, come back to it in a week. Yeah. Get an hour or two, three hour movies and you're, I didn't watch a single one in one sitting mm. and never felt compelled to. And I, I think that's worth saying because you, you're you bringing up, what's his face? Miyazaki? No, not Miyazaki, but uh, uh, Akira Kurosawa. Yeah, Kurosawa. And Kurosawa is a filmmaker. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. these are just... Uh, and that's a very different yeah. thing. It's like watching a fun TV show yep, or something. Right. Like the syndrome we're running into is like Knives Out syndrome, where everyone's like, this movie has a plot. And characters and some payoffs and setups and stuff. This must be the greatest movie ever made. And that's more reflective of the state of the industry than it is of Knives Out. I mean, Knives Out is fine, but it's like every movie should be Knives Out. Like that, yeah. they should pump out thirty of those. I think the only reason I felt compelled to say that is because you know we we have watched Kurosawa, right? And I just watched last night a movie that we're going to be discussing, and I don't know what the order of releases. Neither. Be. I think we probably already discussed it with but, Toby. But I just watched Warrior, and I intended to do the same thing. I intended to watch it in mm-hmm. pieces because I have an early bedtime, early wake up time, and an early wake up time. Mm-hmm. And the only time I can watch a movie like that is after the kids are in bed, and I don't. I don't stay up much longer after they go to bed. And so I, I tend to watch movies in pieces, which I think is disrespectful to a proper film, which should be watched in its entirety. And I started Warrior thinking that's what was going to happen. And I realized I was watching a movie. Right. And, I, and so I watched it through. And that's a very different, it's just a very different sort of thing. It's like... Now, Kenshin is almost probably improved by watching it in... I think it is chunks. improved. Kenshin is incredibly episodic. Mm. Following if, its monk, if you tried to yeah. watch Kenshin for three hours straight, I think you would actually come away with a much less favorable impression. Or I think I would. I think if I had to sit down and watch, and that may actually be part of why I'm so down on the first one. Mm-hmm. It may be that if I had watched any of the... I actually don't think this is true. I don't think this is true, but go ahead. They are better, but... I, they are, I think they are objectively better. Yeah. They just are objectively better. They are. But I think that they might be lessened if I tried to watch them the way that I watched the first one. No, I mean, I think it is... It's Even in budget level, it's like watching a really good, really well-made TV show, and you, you almost do better. I think we probably all watched this piecemeal just because that's how our lives are. Yeah. I mean, you're, you were having I did. babies as you were watching these things. It was pretty inconvenient, I've got to say. Yeah, Megan would be like, come hold my hand. I'm trying to push a baby out. And like, I'm watching Kenshin over here. <laughs> that, that's... It's like a quote. That's a quote, yeah. <laughs> I'm watching Kenshin over here. <laughs> yeah. My Knives Out analogy is just, I think, if it sounds like we're really lathering on the praise, the praise that we're lathering on is just, they made a movie. Marvel doesn't make movies anymore. Also choreography. Yeah. They had, it, had, and it had action scenes. It also, had some coherent s- themes. Scratch the comic book itch. It had some characters that we liked. 
Yeah. They it made was it big. It was colorful. It was fun. It was engaging. It was exciting. It just, it's the closest thing that I've had in a long time to the feeling of a kid seeing a Star Wars movie or, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, there's a new Batman movie or, oh, Iron Man is cool. I want to see him be cool. Just that kind of kid feeling of, yeah, it's just cool to see cool people do cool, fun things that, you know, that, that sort of comic book mm-hmm. vibe. Just the feeling of, oh, these guys are about to fight. We've been waiting for that for now. Two movies, they're approaching each other. Like, it's almost, the anticipation is almost more exciting than the actual thing. Yeah. What else is there to say about these things? Oh, I don't know. I feel like we did pretty good. Yeah, I often use this phrase, but it's very true here. If this sounds like the kind of thing you like, you'll probably like it. If it does not sound like the kind of thing that you will like, then I bet it's not going to proselytize you. It's not so transcendently wonderful that someone who hates samurai films, who doesn't like comic book movies, comic book movies, who's people beating each other to a pulp with right. swords. If you're not, if you don't it, already like that, maybe it's worth saying mm-hmm. we have we're one for three on the wives. I think we all tried, and two of us failed. I didn't try. Oh, you didn't, yeah. Well, but yeah. Your wife told my wife that you needn't have bothered. So I think just walking past it was enough for her. So these movies aren't going to be like crossover. I've never liked anything Japanese before, but boy, Roroni Kenshin sure did it for me. Got me. But your wife liked it. Yeah, she liked it. Okay. I mean, she she actually, she started out hating it. And the thing that she was hating was just, Japanese culture. She's just like, why is everybody androgynous? Why is there hair over their eyes? Why is it just mean and violent feeling? Like I just fatalistic. Fatalistic. I do not like this. And the second movie especially ladles on the sadism with the bad guy. He mm-hmm. wipes out an entire village. And you kind of have to put up with that for a while. And my wife just did not was not vibing on that at all. But then once Kenshin started setting everything right, and once his friends started showing up, and once we got some loyalty and some honor and some allyship and all that stuff she was like yay so my my wife was okay for a while but the she really reacts viscerally to people beating each other up Mm -hmm. on screen a sword fight or a lightsaber fight is one thing but just people just pounding each other for 10 minutes (laughs) and getting all bloody and stuff she has no she cannot tolerate so she Mm -hmm. was done in movie two yep fair enough yeah i think the sequels do have some western money behind them I suspect Netflix probably paid for four and five. Yeah, and I would say that, to me, four and five suffer for feeling like Netflix had a corporate hand in how they work. That's how it felt. That's how I perceived it, just sort of watching it. I felt like the suits at Netflix stepped in and directed some creative decisions that I just didn't didn't care for. And I think that's why I like two and three better. But that was just my personal vibe or feeling. Yeah, I didn't get that. I thought five was perfect. Five was by far my favorite. I thought it had, well, there's some action scenes that are probably better in three, but five had. Five had a ton of good action. It had a lot of great action. I liked the characters. I liked where everything, I liked how it wrapped up. I don't know, but your mileage may vary. It's a fun series. If you like one of them, you'll probably like all of them. To and, some, uh, some degree. Another thing to, that I think it's maybe worth trying to compare it to is if you've ever 
been bored on a Friday night and thought, ah, I'm going to try John Wick. I think that might be fun and scratch the action vibe. There's something of that here without the bloodlust or the level of bloodlust and darkness and right. all the things that a Christian might want to veer away from in John in the John Wick franchise too. Yeah, I mean, I'm so, I'm so torn on those because the action choreography in John Wick is superlative, but the world building is annoying and sucks and the... Yeah, the, the bloodlust is just mean-spirited and takes away there's from it. There's a meanness and an edge, and then there's a sexuality to it, too, it, to, to the, the John Wick movies that you just, you're going to get scenes in it that you just don't. Well, it's just like, how many times did you need to watch somebody get shot point blank in the head, too, right. also? I haven't been able to watch them for that reason. Like, I've watched individual scenes, but I've shied away just because it's, but it's part of, a little much. But me. part of the appeal is, hey, we're going to actually choreograph continuous action scenes right. it was right. single shots that right. you can see what's going on in a sort of lifelike realistic way that's just going to be like that's really cool and really fun to watch people fighting right. in an elite cool choreographed way that's part of the appeal of a movie like john wick or the, any of those that sort of franchise where so much of modern action and modern fight scenes is either bornified or CGI'd and just lame, mm -hmm. not fun to watch. Yeah. No, this movie's, the action is incredibly clear, crisp, a little bit exaggerated in a fun way, not in like a Marvel, everybody's bouncing around, no weight to anything, no consequences to anything kind of way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it takes the best of like samurai vocab, samurai film vocabulary, mm -hmm. which has always had very clear kind of fast action and can pulls in like Hong Kong type stuff in yeah, a way that I have a Hong Kong vibe and really synthesizes all of that in a way yeah. that I think Lu Lucas could only have dreamed of in, mm -hmm. in the prequels, but, yes. but with the same sort of like flashy sensationalism yep. that you got when you saw those prequel movies for the first time. Right. Yeah. And we're like, well, this whole movie's terrible, but wow, I'd never imagined we'd get, a lightsaber fight like that. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah, it's great. As hypocritical as it is to have the whole, he beats people up instead of kills them thing and the way they do it, it is kind of refreshing to not have to put up with just like the waste of human life that we see in so many modern action movies where it's just like one guy massacring 50 guys who don't have a chance. I do get tired of that. Yeah. So yeah, well, you're not, you, it doesn't have as much of that sick feeling that even a PG-13 or like Guardians of the Galaxy will give you where it's just, wow, these heroes are really super powered and these poor scared villains just don't have a chance. And we're Isn't it fun to watch them all die? Ha ha. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get so tired of that. And I think it does feed a bloodlust that's not good. So this movie. So callous. Yeah. It's so mean spirited. It's so mean spirited. Well, and it's at least with the violence of a diehard or something like that, Bruce Willis is at his wits end. He's almost about to die. He's just pulling it off. And then he's killing the crap out of 15 guys. But it's not, ooh, Bruce Willis is walking into the room and we already know he's going to kill all these guys. It's actually fun. It's something that's been lost in, in recent action movies. Is It's fun when your hero is on his toes a little bit. Like he he's not just so awesome all the time. Well, and it's a fun twist to say, to be able to watch something like this and say, actually, he is so awesome that we could be watching him just slice through all these guys right now, but instead he's just sort of knocking them back. Right. And barely, I will, he just has to be honest to us all the time. Right. 
He's always yeah, about to be fun. killed. This is yeah. a different layer to it. That's an interesting little bit of spin. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Well, and I'm a huge background watcher in action scenes with 50 on one because I, I love the corniness. I like to see how they solve the problem too. of, oh no, we're scrambling to get up and it takes them like three minutes to get up. And they're, so all, they're all pretending. and Right. And some movies do it better than others. I'd say this movie is pretty darn successful actually. And like he'll jump up onto a platform so only four guys can get to him at a time. Like they'll just do th- simple things like that that they really pull it off. Like they're really they careful. solve a lot of those problems. Camera angles. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, some of it is as simple as let's just not show that the Corey... first movie does not do it as well as the others. When you go no. through the courtyard, yeah, right. I did the same. I do the same thing because mm. I think it's hilarious to just watch the background guys flail around, flail around, yeah. and create the illusion of motion while doing absolutely nothing and that makes any sense and you have a lot you have a lot more of that in that mm. courtyard scene as you're going through to that i'm sure i didn't notice but Man. yeah the later movies especially Man. are they're really clever in how they oh they're it's something it's great well yeah, these huge scenes where it's like hundreds on one or hundreds on two and they they really pull it off really well it's, it's just so a lot fun. of fun mm-hmm. yeah, and they great. They have a boss fight where the boss is fighting our hero and three other heroes at once. So you have five separate fighting styles being filmed in long, continuous shots mm-hmm. at full speed. That kind of stuff. I don't know that I've seen. I've seen stuff like that attempted maybe in Hong Kong movies, but man, yeah. that, man, that was fun. No, it's great. It's great. And most of these is that your favorite fight? The that is my the favorite. Shishio I, that versus... is my. I watched it so many times, and I'm like, man, it just sells. Like the this character would fight this way. This character. Well, the thing that Marvel so I forgets with their previs and their crap is Tony Stark's fighting style has to be indicative of his character. His character. It's, That's it's, right. it's what great yeah. Hong Kong action cinema, great Japanese. It's what George Miller and Mad Max, Fury Road, the great action movies understand that action is character. And, yeah. and the bad action movies are just like, here's some action. You, you, you like action, right? Here's some slop, you pigs. And, and Marvel absolutely... Just oh, the, there's Tony Stark, and then there's this there's a suit that acts that does what yeah that does what is needed, and somebody thinks would look cool. Well, it just feels like we handed this over to the animators. They drew from a bank of visual cliches, like they literally plugged some things in, and so everybody's just kind of the same. And it's like no, name any great, truly great action. Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like Indiana Jones has a personality. He's tenacious. He's smart. He's this. He's he's wry. Yeah. All those when things you have the come character out in the do that, and you create a problem where you allow them to ad lib, you get something like uh, he's just going to pull out his gun. Right. That's and it's such an iconic character moment. You get that too in a lot of even in like I can't pull a, an actual moment, but I want to say like Tim Burton understood this in the first Batman movie, where there's an aspect to. Even somebody who's fighting in such a wooden rubber suit as Michael Keaton Mm -hmm. that was like very Batman or very Michael Keaton or was trying to be. I think those movies are actually almost better for the character beats of the action than they are for the action of the action because the action, because Tim Burton's not much of an action director. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's That's what I'm saying. What's iconic is is the connection between the action and the character and the way it it, it is a projection of what you love about this character, what's yes. unique about Batman, his cunning, his sly, or even just you know, we're his, featuring his this awareness. toy this time, you know, like, yeah, or the yeah, to- yeah, or the yeah. toy or whatever, uh, right? You it, know, the it, the fact that he's gonna, I don't know, 
it's the movie, that, the move that's been parodied. The one arm, the one arm fist behind the back. Get the guy who's mm-hmm. coming without looking. Mm-hmm. The no look thing that doesn't make any sense in a real fight whatsoever. But you know, especially not with a suit with no peripheral it's vision. Batman. But uh, right, but, but, but it's but he's Batman. And specifically, it's Michael Keaton. Actually, it's Michael Keaton's personality and stuff that feels good for him. And that's fun. And to be able to capture all that at full speed choreography. Yeah. And feel like, hey, this is part of the story. This is actually doing storytelling work while you watch this scene. Yeah. It's this, this, just this, so the, much fun. The CGO fight's probably the best for that because you do have four different guys. You can tell all the actors are doing stuff. The guy that plays Seito is 55 or something. He's a little slower, but you, you under, but that works for the character. There's a lot of things like that. I really like the Anishi fight in number five. Anishi's awesome. And that guy is so much fun to watch. I think my favorite fight is the one where... Though in, I think it's the third movie. Aoshi. The Aoshi. That was actually the part where I was like, okay, I love these movies. I was baking. I was getting to like them more. Like the first one was okay. The second one was going along. It's like, I'm going to keep watching this. This is good. But then that fight, it was like, that's so good. I want to go back and watch the other ones and see what I missed because maybe I wasn't vibing. And that was just a 1v1 fight. But when that was done, that was the moment that I said, why haven't Filoni and Favreau like that? That's the most Star Wars. Oh, yeah, every time you say your Star Wars Jedi, thing, I, I picture that fight. That fight is the most Jedi like yes. fight of all time. No Any question. Jedi fight I've ever seen in my life, whether it's Clone Wars or Rebels or anything on screen, that's the Jedi fight. That is what that is what everybody in Star Wars wants yeah. to achieve is that, that fight from start to finish to the way that he walks away with his one line of wisdom that's going to stick with Ayoshi for the rest of his life. Everything about that fight is just Jedi perfection. Yep. Agreed. Final Anishi fight, forest fight with that guy, whatever his name is. Uh, Ayoshi. I think the ship fights before the final battle on the ship, or the final fight with Sajiro is pretty great in part three. It's great. Yeah. The cinematography is just, man, it's like they keep upgrading. Like, how do you show action? How do you track it? How do you show the angle that helps you keep suspending disbelief? Yeah. It's kind of a master class in that sort of thing. I just, it's like, man, we have not caught up to that. No, the A84. It's stupid that Lucasfilm hasn't caught up to that. It's so dumb. It's just like, you guys, you have the most amazing, profitable property in the history of mankind. Go hire the best people. Every time you say that, I think about the fact that I know what you're. The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens crew. has the guys from the Raid Redemption, which is way too violent, but was and they didn't use them. An amazing piece of action, and they hired these guys to be chased by a CGI monster down a hallway. It's just an insult. Yeah, that's why I'm like, no, I don't want Kathleen Kennedy to come it's anywhere like, near to hiring this the crew from Maroni Kenshin because they will not use them well. Well, that's why I say Fav Favreau. Favreau and Filoni, but yeah, but even still, not it's the people like, that were responsible for Boba Fett. Yeah, not those guys. It's just like, what does Star Wars want to do? It wants to wait until Donnie Yen is so far past his prime, and then just make him a blind guy in Rogue One, who gets a, a, a half a moment on screen. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars has well. We can't even talk about the Obi-Wan show. Like, Oh my goodness. I can't believe how bad that the was. The bad filming, the bad cinematography, the bad editing, the bad everything. The, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's stinky. Yeah. Stinky. Stinky <laughs> is the word. <laughs> like some cheese that's been left out. Yeah. I mean, Ramona Kenshin, 
we may have way overhyped it for a certain kind of person. All we're saying is it's basically doing the things that we wish Star Wars would do. It's the thing you want to geek out over. Yeah. You're looking for something like this. You're like, maybe the latest Marvel movie will scratch that itch, although you know by now it won't. It puts anything in Shang-Chi to to shame. I know we all had to act like we liked that bus fight, and it was okay, but... Oh, I wasn't acting. I thought it was great. I like the scaffolding fight better, actually. But I think put them both against the worst of Veroni Kenjin and oh yeah no, th- they no will comparison. hang their head in shame but you think I was trying to think I don't know I was trying to think earlier of is there a is there a Marvel fight scene that does anything on the level of capturing character in the fight itself there's stuff in the Winter Soldier there's a couple of bits so I do think that the I always thought those I'd, fights are overrated but but go on sure well what I was actually going to say is I think that the I think that the Rousseau brothers do are the closest to doing that. Yeah, I think you're and right. you can point to things in Winter Soldier. You can point mm-hmm. to things in in Civil War. Maybe I think the Thanos but, fight before Thanos's army shows up in Endgame. The Thanos versus Thor versus yeah, and I think it is always the things that surround Thanos where you get a couple of moments because you see your character going up against the big bad that they they work to bring a little bit of that character yep. to bear. And I probably I think maybe the best moment actually or the moment that 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 gets the most of this is actually in Endgame when Cap picks up Thor's hammer. Yeah. Because Cap uses Thor's hammer in a way that we've never seen before in a way that only Cap would use it. Yeah. You know, with it, in combo with his shield or something like that. But outside of that, it's just so generic. But you have to really stretch and reach through 10, 12 years of Marvel to come up with a couple of moments like that. And I'll throw Ben a bone. Sony Marvel is where I'd reach for those stupid Amazing Spider-Man movies. So there's yeah, Amazing Spider-Man Spider-Man too. with some personality. Yeah. Spider-Man 2 has a couple of scenes that actually are ingenious that way. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man, at least Sam Raimi has a style that you at can... Least, I, yes, that's uh, right. If, even if, Speaking of taking on some wuxia tropes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that train fight yep. is completely Hong Kong. Yeah, well, and the Green Goblin fights in Spider-Man 1 are kind of Hong Kong and the worst of... They're, they're, they're like right. Power Rangers. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, every Marvel movie that we go see, we should have an action scene that we look back to, and it's it's that feels iconic. It's like poor kids today. Well, the last Marvel movie I saw was the Spider Man movie, and I you, you remember I sat there. I think I took my kids to it. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. I took my kids to it, and it came out of that movie and just sort of like I was. Were you with us? Was, yeah, with me. Was I there with you guys? You were there. Ben. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yes, I was. <laughs> so so we, we saw it together, and I and with my kids. Yeah. And you come out of that movie, and there's nothing for them to play act. Can you yeah. just imagine coming out of a Spider-Man movie as a kid and not jumping around on poles and well, it's web slinging? The, the reteaming and, of Spider-Man versus getting Doc Ock and Green Goblin. Like, they should all have their own iconic little action beats, but instead it's just like, here's some junk that we animated last minute. It's quite generic. I know we've said this kind of thing before, but it does get to the point where it's so bad that it does feel like a conspiracy. It does feel like they hate us. They hate artistic merit. They want to give us something that's bad. There's like a spiritual component to it. Like we cannot give people quality 
And I'm, I'm always the guy who's, there's no cabal. They're all doing what they think is right. And it's just our stupid culture or whatever. But for the fact that Marvel is so consistently bad, that Star Wars is so consistently bad. And as Jake said, they have all the money in the world to hire whoever. It's just, it's mind boggling. It feels like Favreau and Filoni, sure, they could do something good, but they are not allowed to. Mm-hmm. You could name people that you respect. Supposedly, it just came out. Filoni directed the Darth Vader scene in Rogue One, so it's like, yay! Anything that you like, Filoni probably did it. Okay, why isn't he allowed to just do, do everything? A, do a movie? Do a trilogy? Do, do a, the cool things yeah. that we all love. The I haven't watched the latest episodes of The Mandalorian. They're supposed to be really boring and stupid. I mean, it's just it's not that I don't like this stuff. It's that I do like this stuff. I really like geeking out about dorky action and pop culture stuff and playground. I still have that part of me. It's not dead because I've outgrown it. It's dead because they don't feed it. So even something as silly as Roroni Kenshin and it's long and there's reasons to not tap in on Roroni Kenshin, but it's like characters, action, fun bad guys. Like every time you meet a bad guy, he's got he's dressed in a different cool way and you're like, "Ooh, what's it going to be like when Kenshin fights that guy?" I can't wait. Yep. It's just it's no more sophisticated than that. But Marvel can't do that. Marvel can't just be like, "Here's the henchman, henchman. Here's the henchman and <laughs> he's got a bandana and a big uh, stick." I wonder how Kenshin will take care of this guy with the bandana and stick. It'll be different than this guy with the nunchucks over here. Marvel's just like, Thanos has a CGI wizard guy. Oh, no. And a CGI wizard girl. No. Not CGI wizard girl. Anyway, I'm sorry to rant about Marvel. I mean, even Jason, the Bourne movies, as much as I like to complain about them, it'd be like, we have to activate the professor. And then you're like, ooh, who's the professor? I know. They, I yeah. can't wait until Jason Bourne fights the professor. And then there's nothing all that special about Jason Bourne fighting the not, professor. Not true. But at least you kind of great. feel like it's special because you're like. It's going to blow out his knees. He finally fought the professor. It's really special. The professor was Clive Owen, right? Well, yes. The professor is Clive Owen. It's a well shot suspense. Yeah, no, I was I was being mean. I like that scene. The one that feels more like that to me is the guy in part two, the Carl Urban or whatever. The, the, the yeah, but the, all, all the fight scenes of the first movie are actually pretty great. I yeah, I, I actually yep. like the action in the first movie. Yeah, yeah. Born had he some used stuff. a pencil. Well, and he jumped off that ledge and he shot the guy backwards as he was going down the ledge. Love like, it. <laughs> that's the kind was upside down. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I go to an action movie for. <sighs> That's the Somebody kind of st- had to do it for the first time. Hey, I'm all for born. One day, well, I suppose we'll talk about born. But Got to. We need even more perspective, though. A few more years, <sighs> and we'll talk about Jason Bourne. Well, the, the fifth. Yeah, it's great to. It was fun to complain about them at the time, but so little has come out in the last several years that rivals any of it. I just don't. Hey, that Matt Reeves Batman actually had good action. True. Yeah, I'd rather go watch a Bourne movie. And go back to the Batman. I'd rather watch neither, probably. But I'd watch a Bourne movie first for sure. Yeah, I'd watch the first Bourne movie. I hope my my real problem with the Bourne franchise is that they blow his girlfriend's head off, and then he's just like a sad mopey guy. And I don't like sad mopey guys that much. So yeah, that I, does the first movie yeah. where he's where he's got like a fun girlfriend, and they're like running around having little adventures. I really like that one. But I think they missed the first it. movie. 
is smart in a lot of, in a whole lot of ways. Yep. In including how it uses her. I mean, yeah, she's a good character. Well, and talk about I mean, you it's just another way to expose the, how much they've done away with real sexual tension. We've talked about that with movies like The Philadelphia Story. Yep. And even 20 years ago, they understood and were willing to put more, I don't know, and I don't like it because it's... I mean, I think there's a sexual tension and then there's just also... But there's a a truth-telling to it that's not the lies that we get today. I don't know. I just... Part of the fantasy is it would be cool to be able to protect somebody like that. That's actually a f- something that a 13 year old boy likes. Like what if the hot girl at school, our school was attacked or it would be cool to be a woman who has somebody who can protect you. Yeah. Who makes you feel like a little girl. Yep. Actually. Uh, yeah. It, th- that'd be great. But we just don't get that fantasy anymore. Go back 30, 40 years, you get diehard and it's like his wife thought she could change her name. But actually when it comes down to it, she needs John McClane around to protect her from Euro trash terrorist thief people. And then we can do it in a sequel. And then in the sequel after that, <laughs> we can show that the marriage actually failed anyway. Yep. <laughs> Yay, character Yay, development. Character development. <laughs> oh, thanks, my. Die Hard. Thanks, Die Hard with a vengeance. Oh, man. Uh, no. And I've never seen a single sequel. I've, I've only seen, seen the first movie. I have not seen sequel five, which I heard was <laughs> not zero seen. stars. <laughs> you, you knew where to draw, draw the line. <laughs> Here I stand. <laughs> movie four was quite fun at the time. I never, I've never wanted to go back to it. I actually really liked movie four. I did not like, I did see number five. It was terrible. I have a certain fond memory of part two just being so a, do I. a fun, ridiculous. Part two is horrible, but it is a fun, ridiculous action movie, especially if you just catch a scene or two on TV. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yep, I I'm serious. Back in the days of I grew TBS man. network television. Yeah, yep. back at back of the day. Yeah, yep. TNT and USA, and we had to walk a mile to the mailbox yep. to pick up our VHS tape, yep. take it back to the VCR. That movie was talking about. Working. We had to go to Blockbuster on Tuesday nights take for the VCR to the repair man. Dollar Tuesdays or two dollar Tuesdays or yep. whatever they were. Yep. Dyer too has the scene where he, he calls the guy from Family Matters and he's like, Can you fax me some information? <laughs> and then the guy from Family Matters faxes him like the exposition on the terrorists, and then the woman makes eyes with him at the desk and says, Is there anything else I can do for you? And he says, Just the facts, ma'am. Uh, wow. Which Bruce Willis apologized for in several later interviews. <laughs> well, that's why you should watch Roroni Kenshin. I'll tell you who else should watch Roroni Kenshin. Is our patron choice award winner of excellence, whose name could only be Jay. What is it that makes Jay so wonderful, fellas? He's not K. He's from like Men a, in Black. He's a young black guy. <laughs> he's not L M. He's a young quippy black guy instead of an old grumpy white guy. Yeah. I don't know that Jay actually is a young quippy black guy. I suspect he's a sensible white guy. <laughs> white guy. <laughs> wow. If you were going to wander the countryside of America defending innocence from justice, he would have a reverse blade sword. He would <laughs> beat the crud out of bad guys instead of killing them. Yeah, you, you just reminded me, you know who does wander America, but he always kills everybody? Who, who, is, the Punisher? Well, yes. <laughs> the Punisher, but also Jack Reacher. 
Oh, Jack Reacher, yeah. like he always comes into town and there's some bad guys and there's a mystery. And then he's like, I will solve this mystery by killing everybody. And I don't know. Like, I understand. I'm all for good guys killing bad guys on occasion. But man, it is overdone these days. All right. Until next time. Stay sane. Nope. No. I don't know. What's the, the sword is the way of peace. <laughs> first of all nice accent work Uh, no my favorite line this movie has a great line it's we're going to need our ninja garb or something like that it's just this old dude i remember that yeah the town is being attacked and he's like that's pretty great he's like everybody get your ninja garb get your ninja garb this movie does actually have some good lines that's another thing we could say yeah some good script moments yeah it's pretty good i mean i don't want to overblow it but too late you might really like it i don't know whoops wrong sound effects (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, until next time grab your ninja garb bye and the music continues goodbye